0: Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank podcast. We love God, love people, and love our city. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org. Good morning Every Nation Rosebank. Just want to say I miss you. We miss you. We watch every single Sunday at the Rosebank services and I can't wait till we get back together face to face and and it's important that we acknowledge that we are not in a normal situation and that we should miss one another. So I just want to say, I miss you and can't wait to see you face to face again. Also, before I go into the Word, I want to say something about your leaders, about Pastor Sy and Lindy and and all the leaders here in Rosebank. And this is particularly in the light of the announcement last week. If you missed it, um, you can watch. They are outstanding leaders. They are godly men and women. They serve with the fear of God, and they serve with with love and humility. And I just want to say that I travel around South Africa, I know so many churches, and here in Rosebank, you're in a great place, because you are with outstanding, incredible leaders. So, we are in a series, an incredible series, looking at God, looking at the names of God, looking at men and women who we had encounters with God and, and from that encounter realized something about God, a, a revelation, an aspect of Him, a name of God. And last week, Pastor Cheesy did an amazing job just speaking about Jehovah Shalom or Yahweh Shalom, the God of peace. And if you missed it, please get it. Please watch it out of uh, Judges chapter 6. And today we're going to look at El Roy. He is the God who sees. So won't you join me, please, in Genesis chapter 16. And I want to give credit to William Mill and a couple of other people, Laura Copley. They've prepared this sermon series for the whole of every nation worldwide. And uh, so some of what we've done here today, some of what you hear from me today is from them. Now the framing of the story is Abraham has heard the call of God, and he's faithfully responded, and he's come to the promised land. Then there's a drought, and they go down to Egypt, and that didn't work out so good, and wasn't great the way Abraham responded. Then they come back, and you have that moment with Lot, and... Lot and him separate. Then he rescues Lot. And then in Genesis chapter 15, God reaffirms his promise to Abraham. And he promises him the land and he promises him offspring and children and, and a nation. And then we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 16. Now this story is similar to Abraham's story when he goes down to Egypt. It's a story of, of Abraham and Sarah wavering in their faith, in them not being strong not being as strong as they should be in holding fast to God's word and God's promises. So they act in in, in ways to try and make God's promises happen faster instead of trusting in Him. Not only is this a story of Abraham and Sarah's unfaithfulness, it's a story of God's incredible love, goodness, and faithfulness to Abraham and Sarah, despite what they did, and to Hagar, the servant girl, slave girl from Egypt, who's a complete outsider, but we see God's goodness and his love and his mercy being poured out to her. And this is our God who we serve. He sees those of us who are desperate. He sees those of us who are hard-pressed. He sees those of us who are against the wall. And I want you to know today, he sees you. He sees your need. He sees your heart. He sees your heartache and he sees your crisis, and he's not ignoring you. So let's go to, to Genesis chapter 16. Beautiful passage of scripture. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Never a good idea to blame God. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Sarah had lived sorry, so after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abraham, "May the wrong done to me be upon you. I gave my servant to your embrace." And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abraham said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. She was actually his wife, but anyway. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. And the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, Where have you come from, and where are you going?' And she said, "'I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah.' And the angel of the Lord said to her, "'Return to your mistress and submit to her.' The angel of the Lord also said to her, "'I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for a multitude.' And the angel said, "'Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction.' Ishmael literally means the God who hears. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kingsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her and said, You are the God of the seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Beredh. And Hagar bore Abraham a son. And Abraham called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. What does the story mean? And where does it fit in? It seems to be like a dead end. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not Abraham and Ishmael. When we look at at the story of Hagar, or we look at the references to Hagar, in, in Galatians chapter 6, it talks about Hagar that... Um, She's an allegory and a powerful one, but a pretty negative one on Hagar. And uh, growing up, I used to read cartoons called Hagar the Horrible. But understand this. Hagar is not a sermon illustration. Hagar is a real person, flesh and blood, emotions. And God's dealings with her as the God who sees should speak to our heart and minister to us deeply. Her name means foreigner. Or stranger and can also be translated as meaning flat and all of us outside of God are foreigners all of us outside of God are strangers all of us are, are on the run but in God in the God who sees in Elroy, we find our place we find our place of peace and blessing and prosperity God's dealings with Hagar are incredible they are gracious they are kind they are loving they are beautiful The first thing that strikes me is that God calls her by name. Now read through the Old Testament. This is the first woman that God has called by name. He didn't call Sarah, didn't call Eve, didn't call Deborah. But he calls Sarah by name and he wants to interact with her. And he says to her, where are you going and and where are you from? This Egyptian servant girl is getting the same one-to-one attention as Abraham. And it's nothing like she's ever experienced. Having been raised in Egypt, she's stunned. She's stunned that God has noticed her. In the Egyptian worldview, in the Egyptian mind, if you're a slave girl, you're nothing. To to be heard from God, you have to be a priest. Furthermore, you have to be someone. You have to bring someone. You have to sacrifice to your God. You have to flatter your God. you You have to make something happen. But our God, our Roy, he comes to us. He breaks through into our lives. We don't work our way up to him. He comes and he breaks through to us. Hagar's response is amazing. Her, hearing God call her name, she responds and she gives God a name. And this is utterly unique in scripture. There's no other example that I'm aware of. Hagar becomes the first man or woman in the whole Bible to give God a name. And she calls him El Roy, the God who sees me." And this underscores what this whole passage is about. It's about how we look, how we see, it's about the vision that we have of ourselves, of our circumstance, and above all, of God. So, the story starts with the wrong vision, it then moves on to a God vision, and then lastly, it talks about the results of having a fresh vision. So the wrong vision starts with Sarah, Her eyes are locked on one thing and that is her success as a mother on her womb. Her culture said that a woman's worth was in bringing forth children. This was a sign that you were legitimate. This was a sign that you were approved by God. We've now swung to the complete other side. Now for a woman, there's immense pressure for her to be in the workplace and to be highly successful there whereas before it was whether you were a mother or not. The truth is, Whether you're a man or a woman, it's not in your children. It's not in your career. It's not in your finances. It's not in your looks. Our identity, our purpose, our value is found in God. And and Sarah makes this mistake, and she's she's under pressure, and she's got the added pressure of the promises to her husband, although there was never until this stage, later on there was, until this stage there was never a word saying that the children would be through her. So she's been waiting. It's ten years hundred and twenty months, month after month, disappointment, heartache, and eventually she's a broken woman and so this becomes a bit of a ancient handmaid's handmaiden's tale, and uh, the code of Hammurabi talks about this and, and we know that Rachel and Leah did this, but it was practice for a woman if she couldn't bring forth a child that what she'd do should take he, take take her servant girl, take her maid servant and say. If you would take this as a surrogate, that child will be mine. And um, we need to understand, not everything in the Bible is God's plan. There's a whole lot of crazy, there's a whole lot of sin, there's a whole lot of bad stuff in the Bible. And this is another example, because polygamy, multiple wives, never, never, never works out well in Scripture. the so Sarah's broken down, and this is her attempt through polygamy, through her coming up with a scheme, for her to attain motherhood. Once the second wife, Hagar, becomes pregnant, she looks with contempt upon Sarah. The Hebrew literally means that Sarah became light worth in Hagar's eyes. She now has everything that she wanted. She is desired. She is married. She has a child. And so she starts to despise her mistress. She starts to despise Sarah. And it's striking, the contrast. Sarah is old, rich, free, barren, but the covenant insider. Hagar is young, poor, fertile. She's in bondage, but she's the, she's the outsider. But both of their eyes are exactly the same. They are finding their worth in the womb. They are finding their worth in their ability to be mothers. Both of them had their eyes on the same place, and the result wasn't pretty. Sarah flips out. Abraham chickens out and literally says, do with her what you want. Sarah wants to achieve identity. She wants to achieve purpose. And Abraham doesn't trust in God, and he does a bit of a DIY, and he lets Sarah do what she wants to do. And the truth is, husbands and wives should be better together They should be stronger. They should be iron sharpening iron. And I pray in your marriages and in your relationships, and if you're a single person with your brothers and sisters in Christ, that you are better together, that you are challenging one another, you are calling one another up, you are praying. You're not like Abraham and Sarah who actually result in in worse situations, sin and compromise. We are called to be people of vision. We are called to be people like Hagar did who saw God for who he was and came away with a fresh vision. Helen Keller, an incredible woman, who is an author, a disability rights activist, advocate, sorry, a political activist and a lecturer, at two years old she became desperately ill and she was left both deaf and blind and yet she did so much with her life. and She made an incredible statement. She said this, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. And I pray today that God would restore vision to your heart. Vision for your life. Vision for your life in the light of God's eyes on you. And above all, that he would restore your vision of who God is. The one who sees you. The one who loves you. Now we're not told about the details of serious sins of commission and Abraham's sins of omission. But it forces a pregnant woman to flee into the desert. And she goes 200 kilometers south. And she, from Hebron all the way down to a region called Shur. This is as forbidding as it gets. It's walls of sand, sand dune and rock. The place literally means the wall. And she gets to a place where she's come back to the wall. She's come to a place where she can go no farther. And she... She has nothing, and she has no husband, no one looking after her, no one seeing her, no one to hear her cry, but someone does see her, and someone gives her water, and more than water, someone calls her by name and promises her a son. You know, to be deeply misunderstood is devastating. To be completely overlooked is just heartbreaking. To be unseen is just the worst, and, and we've all had moments where people have completely misunderstood us, misrepresented us, or just despised us. We all have a desire to be seen and loved and known, and the Lord sees her, the Lord loves her, and He understands her predicament. I love what Tim Keller said, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear, but to be fully known, and truly loved, is a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything else. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and it fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw throw at us. To be known, and to be loved, and this is what. What Hagar experiences, she experiences that God knows her, God loves her, God sees her. She's flawed. She's blown away. So every every blow that Sarah has inflicted, every blind eye that, that Abraham has turned, every injustice that she suffered, we don't know how she became a slave. The God of the universe, the God of Abraham saw it all. God cares for those of us who feel on the outside. And he cares for us when we cry and he sees our tears and he sees your heartache. He is the God who sees and he doesn't just see. He steps in and he speaks to our hearts and he's speaking to your heart today. In a world where people are written off, in a world where people are just numbers, in a world where we are valued according to what we can give, in a world where there's this cancel culture of of people are dead to us, I'm reminded of the scripture that says his eyes on the sparrow and I know he watches over me. So the Lord promises her the same blessing, much the same blessing as Abraham. That she will have offspring and that they will be great and there will be a multitude. She is seen and, she's, and she knows that she's seen. And she sees him. This angel of the Lord is a theophany. It's a pre-incarnate Christ. It's God himself. She has met with Christ, the love of her soul. And this changes everything. And this changes her. And then she's told to return. She's told to go back to her husband. How can she? She's right on the border of, of getting into Egypt. She's gone way down south. I believe, and scripture suggests this, the only reason why she could do this is that she's got a new vision of God. And she understands that God is for her and God is with her. And he's not going to say things to her that that are for her harm. God is saying to her, go back. Go back to your husband and I will bless you and I will prosper you. And so she's not a slave girl anymore in her mind. She's not just a bearer of children for someone. Her worth is not in upending her mistress, but she has found worth in being loved by God and being seen by God, the great Elroy, the God who sees. Getting a vision from God changes everything, changes our pain, it changes our suffering, and it changes what God asks of us, and it gives us strength and hope, and it fortifies us to do the things that God has asked us to do. She's a woman that is noticed by God, heard by God, found by God, protected by God, given drink by God, her son is named by God, and both she and her son are given great promises. And as she keeps her eyes on Elroy, grace comes, strength comes, and she's able to do what she needs to do. You know, Jesus spoke to another woman. It was the woman caught in adultery. And he protects her against these, these men that would stone her. And he gives her a new perspective on God. But at the end, he says to her, go and sin no more. And God comes into our lives and he touches our hearts but he doesn't leave us there. He calls us up and he calls us out into the fullness of our calling and our destiny. Ancient church fathers spoke about the gospel always being caught, or or always being um, caught between two thieves, just like Jesus was. Not that he was caught, but always straddling between two thieves. On the one side of the gospel, it says that, and this is is the, the error, the error on the one side is that we have to do a whole lot of things to be accepted by God and that's an error that's heresy we don't have to do a whole lot of things Jesus did a whole lot of things all we need to do is accept them but the other the other error is the one that if Jesus has come into our lives no change is necessary There doesn't have to be change the reality is if Jesus has come into our lives not through our works but through the work of Christ if Jesus has come into our lives change should come like a mustard seed growing. And so Jesus calls, or the Lord, the Angel of the Lord, calls Hagar to go back to her mistress, calls this woman caught in adultery to sin no more. And God coming into our lives in his love for us, he calls us up and he calls us out to not stay as we are. And if we just think that being loved by God means that he just accepts us, we've only got half the story. The other half is He accepts us, but He wants us to walk in the fullness of who we are called to be, walking in His image, being transformed into His likeness, walking in the fullness of our purpose and destiny. So once you allow God to speak to you, the fullness of what He has for your life. So interesting. He encountered her at a well. And read through the Old Testament time and time again. In this case, it was Beer Roy. Time and time again, we see moments of love that were all at the well. First one that comes to mind is is Rebecca is proposed to at a well. Later on, we read that Rachel meets Jacob at a well. Zipporah meets Moses at a well. Could it be that Hagar too is encountering her true husband, Jesus, the lover of her soul? You can't help think of another outcast woman, the Samaritan woman, who encountered Jesus unexpectedly at a well. And he told her he could give her more than water, but that he could give her living water. And he knew her, and he loved her, and her life was changed. And she went out and she told everybody, and revival came to that village because of her encounter with God and her responding to the one who had seen her, to the one who had known her and understood her. Friends, we are all hay We are all backs to the wall at some time in our life. We are all outsiders. We all feel unloved or unknown or unappreciated to some extent. The reality is you will never get all the thanks, all the praise, all the appreciation from man that you deserve. But we serve Elroy, the God who sees us, the God who knows us, and loves us. And that just blows my mind. He sees my faults, he sees my flaws, and yet he loves, and he sends his son to die for us, that we might live life and live life abundantly. There is a crazy story, Walker Percy's novel, The Movie Goer, it's about a movie addict Who believes that a person is nothing until he's been on screen or he's met somebody on screen? And one night he bumps into an actor, William Holden, and Holden asks him for a light, and so he lights up his cigarette. And after that, this moviegoer, in the book it says, he felt like he'd won a title to existence. He felt like now he was legitimate. Now he was a citizen. Now he and Holden were like two men of the world, and he walked down the street, shedding his light, now everyone is aware of him. What is it in you that you are striving for to make you feel legitimate, to make you feel important? Is it your career, is it your Instagram likes, is it your kids, is it your finances? What are your eyes locked onto? I pray today. we're about to take communion that you would consecrate yourself again to god that you would lay aside every idol and you would allow yourself to see god afresh the one who is the lover of your soul and as you do he transforms us he transforms you and you will experience grace and strength for all that you need to do just like Hagar did god bless you